Peter, you play the part of this rather unhappy and disenchanted, unsuccessful lawyer. What's he called now? Wilfred Morganhorn. He never gets a brief, does he? Nobody ever employs him. Well, he hasn't had a brief for many, many years. And um, in this case, he got the doc brief. Do you know about the doc brief? No, explain. What is a doc brief? Well, it means that criminals who have no friends or money are at liberty to pick out from the benches any lawyer who is sitting in court that day to defend them. And that is called the dark brief. They are, the lawyers remunerated on a modest scale and uh, attempts to defend the criminal. And Wilfred Morgan Hall, he's apparently been sitting in the docks for many years and never been chosen. As it says in the script, under the great window, my profile drawn and learned, my glasses polished, hoping, not daring to wave a little flag or cause any other disturbance that might catch the criminal's eye, praying, hoping that one day I might too receive the dark brief. And you have to defend Richard Attenborough on the charge of murder. That's right. He plays Fowl, Herbert Fowl. Goompod, the podcast in which we look at the careers of Peter Sellers, Mike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, Michael Benteen, and increasingly, David Lodge. And Roger, you're back. My guest, Roger Stevenson, is back. Hello. Back from the dead. Nice to be back, Tyler. Thank you for, for thank you for coming back. Because oh. uh, last time you were on, we were talking, what was it, the uh, China story? We were China about, story, we? yes. That's I like right. controversial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, Roger, yeah, you, you agreed to come back to talk about a film this time round. Indeed. Um, and we'll we'll jump straight into it, because we've already previously talked about your history with the, the goons and, and whatnot. But um, but we're talking about a, a lesser-known Peter Sellers film, which is called The Doc Brief, yes. um, a.k.a. Trial and Error, which was the American title, which... I think it's a better title. I think it's a much better title. I, I didn't know what a doc brief was until they explain it partway through the film. But trial and error just sums up the entire plot in one, doesn't it? So it's, It uh, does. I it, don't know what... I mean, the doc brief... I know it's based on a John Mortimer play called The Doc Brief. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't know. I, I'm still not quite sure, having watched the film again. <laughs> um, but it, it's if, if somebody said to me, do you want to watch a film called The Doc Brief or a film called Trial and Error? I'd be saying trial and error, please. Exactly, yes. So this this film was released in 1962. That's right. Um, and what, what was it about this film that made you want to come on and <laughs> gab about it? Right. Well, the thing is, I am no film buff at all. I listen to you sometimes on this podcast, and I'm amazed. You, you know, I'm 20-odd years older than you, and yet you've got more knowledge of 1960s films than I have by a, by a mile. <laughs> And uh, there must be others out there listen, who listen to it who know more than I do. So I thought I'd, cho- I'd choose one that no one has ever seen. 
Uh, I, my, I mean, you, you might know better than I do. Has it ever been on television in Britain? Oh, it will have been. I, I, I didn't share. Sure. It will have been. I've never seen it on television in Britain. Uh, in fact, it has. I know it because it's been on Talking Pictures. Has TV. it? I was wondering about that. But I haven't seen it. It's, well, yeah. I only came across it when I first got into internet. Like when first going to eBay, I had the sort of usual buying frenzy that you get with that sort of thing, and I bought anything and everything. You know, I've got on VHS a, a copy of The Big Freeze, Eric Sykes and Spike Milligan, mm. which is not very good at all. But one of the things I got was Trial and Error. I watched it and I just thought, why is this film not better known? It is so good. It's it's one of the last, because I only saw it for the first time probably about two years ago, certainly within the lifetime of this podcast, because I hadn't seen every single Peter Sellers film. You know, <laughs> I haven't um, seen half of them. Um, there's a handful. In fact, there's one or two I still haven't seen. Well, um, I haven't seen, and, and even the ones I've seen, I don't like them all. I don't, I don't like. Oh no, 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 no! There's, there's some stinkers, uh, but this one, it's a. Do we call it a slight film? It's a, it's an entertaining film. It's a little gem. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I describe it. It's a little gem. And once you discover it, you will enjoy it. I think it's, 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 it's well worth seeking out and uh, and watching. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but uh, if not, it should be. Does well, it... you can pick up like you did, and I and I did actually. I think I got mine from eBay. You can pick up uh, the the DVD for a couple of quid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it is it it is a little, a little gem. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I am gonna say this, Roger. I think I prefer Sellers co-star in this <laughs> film. I probably agree. Um, oh dear. Okay, I'll say this then. I have a theory that um, Peter Sellers is at his best when he's either in an ensemble or he's got someone, another actor to compete with. Yeah. Uh, now here, Richard Attenborough is outstanding. I, I think Richard Attenborough is a much maligned actor. He was a brilliant actor when he was young, but you just got to watch 10 Rillington Place. Or oh, Pride one of my favourites of all time. Yeah. Or even Private's Progress to see how good he is. And mm. If, if Sellers is up against someone like that, I think he's brilliant, you know, um, or an ensemble. I mean, something like the Pink Panther, he's brilliant in that because, first of all, he wasn't first choice. And secondly, he's That's poor right. up on the bill. And he raises his game. And films where he's not like that, I don't think he's as good. And uh, this is a bit you won't like. I don't think he's very good when he's only competing against himself. I don't like him playing multiple parts. Oh, like Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove is. Don't get me wrong. As the American president in that, I think he's brilliant, superb. But as Doctor Strangelove, it made me cringe back then. I mean, today it's borderline racist the character. Why they didn't get someone who can play a German with a lot more? So far of the top, it needs some more subtlety. It's a subtle film. And what you don't need at the end is someone biting his hand, trying not to salute <laughs> like a Nazi and what have you. If someone more subtle would make it a lot better. Well, you know, do you know that the actual, they they filmed an ending for that film, which they, they then, Kubrick sensibly changed his mind. There was a custard pie fight at the oh, end, no. originally. <laughs> um, yeah. 
look, I, I really enjoy Doctor Strange Love, and um, I know, I, but I take on board what you're saying. Yes, um, I like the sometimes. Film. Don't get me wrong; I think it's a very uh, you know, <laughs> you can't fight in here. It's a war room. But it's that sort of subtle humour that I, I enjoy, and then to finish off with this over-the-top character. And if they got, I don't know, Kurt Jurgens or someone who could play a German and underplay him, mm. I feel the same about the mouse that roared. Um, mm. I, 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 what does it add to the film? Him playing three parts. I, I don't know. And I feel that if you had, you know, in the, in the sequel, which was not very good, you have Margaret Rutherford and Terry Thomas. Well, you put them into the mouse that roared. And Sellers has got something to compete with, and he could make Tully into a far more interesting character than he does. Yeah, I, there we are. Well, Personally. I don't, I, I don't mind the mouse that roared. I'm just trying to think. Oh, of I like the film. <laughs> multiple I, Sellers roles. I mean, there's soft beds, hard battles, yeah. which isn't very good at all. No, there's <clears throat> fiendish plot of Fu Manchu, of course, which. Yeah. <sighs> um, but uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's a conceit, isn't it? It's yeah, a contrivance it that the. Often we'd get sellers to play multiple roles. But in this film, he's up against Richard Attenborough and the two of them knock sparks <coughs> off each other. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a moment in this film actually where he threatens to play another character, Sellers, and then he doesn't, if that makes sense. Um we'll we'll get to that. You have to lead me to that because I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so so this film uh it it had its world premiere in London. Uh, on the 20th of September 1962 and as I always try to do I just look at what else was happening in the world of entertainment showbiz or just world events and um, the only thing that really caught my eye that happened on this day 20th, 20th of September 62 um, was the was the first ever appearance of a television icon okay and I'm going to give you a clue <laughs> Okay. You mentioned you mentioned Terry Thomas before. Yes. And this this television icon was very much influenced by Terry Thomas. Mm. Okay. And okay. if I was to say to you children's television character. Okay, you still I'm still groping about in the dark. <laughs> okay. Uh it was the uh first appearance on ITV of Basil Brush. Basil Brush. Oh, mm -hmm. wonderful. And yeah. the assistant then, was it Derek Folds or? Well, no, it was, okay. It was before he had his, because he, he was part of a, right. The actor Ivan Owen um, yeah. provided the voice That's right. for, for, for Basil. And Owen was part of the cast of a TV series called <clears throat> The Three Scampies. Never okay. heard of it. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's you know one of those one of those also rans children's <laughs> television, uh, and he did I think he did a number of different characters in this television show, and it was um, one of the there was a number of puppet characters and one of them was this fox character called Basil, and there was also a, a hedgehog called Spike McPike, I mean nobody remembers the three scampies but the character of Basil took off. It's very, yeah. you know, became very popular. And then I think, you know, subsequently got his own television shows. Um, and I love Basil Brush. That's one of my absolute childhood favourites, that character. Yes, it was, well, one of my uh, somewhat more than childhood favourites. But, uh, yeah, he was wonderful, Basil, a wonderful caricature. And, uh, yes, very yes. 
so that was but that was that was what happened on the 20th of September 1962 as well as the world premiere of the dog brief um we mentioned <clears throat> so we've got we've got sellers as uh Wilfred Morgan Hall Wilfred Morgan Hall I'm going to struggle with that name it read <laughs> for some reason because I've got lots of notes but I always struggle you know remembering the name of the character Wilfred Morgan Hall yes and he is um <clears throat> a barrister uh, uh, you missed one of the best bits of to me at the start uh, when the titles come up you've got two budges and there's Peter Sellers Richard Attenborough and you sort of connect <laughs> Peter Sellers and Richard Attenborough with these two budges sitting on a perch in a cage well yeah but then you think about it without going too deep two budges caged I know it is there's a lot of caged in the whole film isn't there I mean yeah I'm not going to read too much into it it's not that sort of film but there's <laughs> certainly a lot of caging going on in the film and a lot of enclosure so, cool. I love yeah. the two budges it, it makes me laugh each time I see it these two budges side by side that gap between them and then Peter Sellers Richard Attenborough I think it's great yes. yeah <laughs> well Richard Attenborough was nominated for a BAFTA quite right too for this yeah you know while watching the film i kept thinking who does he remind me of who does he remind me of and then i thought he, he's not as good an actor though but i thought that that role that attenborough plays in this which is a character called herbert um Fowl, the the actor norman bird could have played that character do you, do you know norman bird i was thinking donald pleasant but there we are <laughs> yeah but donald <clears throat> Herbert Fowl in this is drab and yeah. colourless and meek, exactly. and and but there's a there's a there's a there's an edge to Donald Pleasance even when he plays very unassuming characters. There's a, there's an undertone of menace I think or creepiness. An exciting meal has been ruined by the presence of this liquid filth. The filming took place in March and April, 1962 at Shepparton, and. Around this time, uh, the actor Kenneth uh, Griffith, who appeared with Sellers in many... Only two two can play, yes. Yeah, and a number of other films as well. Uh, Naked Truth, for example. Uh, They were were good friends. And Kenneth Griffith had been discussing with Sellers the possibility of appearing in a BBC television production of Waiting for Godot. Wow. Okay. And Sellers potentially was interested in playing the part of estrogen. Yeah. Um, but then, as always, or often with Sellers, he got cold feet. And he blamed the fact that he was committed to filming the doc brief and didn't have time to to do this TV adaptation. Okay. Um, but, 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 but then sort of kept saying, but I could, you know, if you, if you can wait, if you can wait until I've done the dot brief, um, I might be able to do it. Right. But anyway, in the end, the BBC couldn't wait. And so mm. they got the actor Nigel Stock instead. And, um, and the, uh, the BBC TV adaptation of Waiting for Godot went out on the 5th of February, 1962. And Kenneth Griffith was in it as well. Oh, I've um, seen it with Peter Sellers. Uh, it's given his career um, a different direction. I'm certain, you know, if you put a really good actor up against him, he would have been excellent. Oh. Hmm. Well, I guess he would have been. I'm, 
I guess he would have been acting up against Kenneth Griffith. But it's it's it's. I think Sellers was just intimidated. I think, but by the yeah, yeah, staying where he's not where he's familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's based. The film is based on a John Mortimer play, and uh, uh, as they were sort of discussing the film, Sellers, as as he was with Fred Kite in I'm Alright Jack, he was unsure about how to play the character and what sort of voice to use and all that sort of thing. And originally. He wanted to play the role in a North Country accent. And in the end, they persuaded him to adopt a more sort of home counties accent. Yeah, it, it's, it hasn't been wrong for it, in my opinion. Uh, he's got, this is his um, not very good actor voice, isn't it? Which he uses um, Worthington Minge or whatever he uses at various Warrington times. Minge. Failed actor type. Well, that's, that's an interesting. Yes, that's an interesting comparison because... As we'll see in this film, he is essentially a failed. He, he suffers from stage fright. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect Sellers, in his young days when he was touring with his parents, must have seen lots of people like this people with uh, delusions of adequacy um, <laughs> on, on the halls and what have you. And uh, he, he uh, to my mind, that's what he's best playing people who think they can do it but really can't you know it's blue bottle isn't it it's uh, yeah it's all these people that uh him fred kite pluso they're, they're people who would love to be able to but no can't do it yes that's a, yeah inadequates yes um roger lewis describes the character of morgan hall as both hopeful and hopeless as <laughs> as gray washed as the prison cell walls yes yes hope hopeful and hopeless is a very good description of it yeah yeah yeah. Um, for some reason, during the filming, John Mortimer wrote that um, Sellers was paranoid that he was going to be rubbed out by the mafia be- <laughs> because of his his connection with Sophia Loren. Oh, dear. Right. Uh, uh, this is 1962. This is a good couple of years after The Millionaires. You know, yeah, still... he kept a thing for Sophia Loren for quite a long time, shall we say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, the interesting thing as well about this, so you and I both watched the DVD. Yes. And I checked with you, didn't I, um, how the length of the film that you were watching. And yeah. mine was 77 minutes, which I think yours was as well. Yes, it was. Yeah. and But officially, the film runs for um, 88 minutes. So there's 11 minutes missing. Um, and this is presumably the American cut of the film. I wonder if they cut out some of the early setting up and what have you, which wouldn't apply to the stage. You know, the, the, you know that opening scene, of, or not the opening scene, it's sort of the second scene, really, where you see them all outside the courtroom chatting and things going on and, and what have you. I wonder if that was originally longer, um, but because it didn't relate to American audiences. They decided a lot of that had to go. Maybe. No, no, 11 minutes is a hell of a long lot. A lot of. I checked with um, Mark Cousins, who knows about all the, these things, and he hadn't realised, so he was he didn't know either. Um, so I've not been able to find out what <clears throat> what was cut. Now, I, I suspected, maybe wrongly, that it, it, it occurred to me that the... You know when we get to the actual proper court scene, the, 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 the yeah. trial itself it's i i suspect that a bit of that was cut oh yeah but i don't know more don't bumbling know. by the morgan hall character uh 
Yeah, we just get the opening bit, don't we? We get the um, prosecuting barrister's speech, and then that's about it. So, yes, yeah. yes, you could have had a bit more in there, couldn't you? Yeah. But in any case, it was, you know, it's it's a short film, the version that we watched anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was fine. It's a, a Dimitri de Gronwald production. Yes, and also did The Millionaires. Yeah, and Mr. Topaz, which was the Sellers directed film, uh-huh. which isn't very good. <laughs> um, he was also executive producer on a film I'm very fond of, which I nobody's really seen, called Perfect Friday. Um, with Stanley Baker and David Warner. Wow, um, I haven't seen that one. Um, wonderful film. If if it, it is available on Blu-ray and DVD, so uh, um, I recommend anybody who enjoys sort of um, heist or caper films or yeah. um, bank robbery films to to, um, to seek that one out. And David Warner is marvelous. But I I mentioned to you before we started recording. I was watching Straw Dogs last night. Because I do like Dustin Hoffman, and um, David Warner's in that film, but he's uncredited. But he's probably, I would say, he's probably, I don't know, the fifth most important character in the film, but he's uncredited. And I don't understand why. Ooh, perhaps he took his name off it. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Funny enough, I watched David Warner last night. I, I recorded The Wars of the Roses. It was on, on Sunday, the BBC adaptation of Henry VI through to Richard III. And he plays a, a weak, pathetic Henry VI in it. And how uh, oh. very good he is, too. He's wonderful, he David is. Warner. Wonderful actor. Famously gets decapitated in The Omen <laughs> by a sheet of glass. Yes. Um, anyway, so uh, it's directed by. A chap called James Hill, mm-hmm. who had mm-hmm. worked with Sellers a few years previously on a short film that is hopefully going to be released on DVD one of these days. Um, there's a there's a number of or a couple of short Sellers films from the fifties, and there's there's one called Cold Comfort. Um, so uh, he directed that. He also directed Born Free, yeah. The Bellstone Fox, which I'm quite fond of. And he also directed um, Wurzel Gummidge, which was another childhood favourite of mine. So he seems to prefer, this is an odd film for him then, because you know, one outdoors in Africa, one outdoors, two of them outdoors in the UK, and here he is claustrophobically in a prison cell. So yes, it's quite a yeah, change, isn't it? Because obviously, yeah, as, as I keep saying, this is based on a play, so it's it comes. A, you you can tell that it's based on a play, can't you? It's oh yeah, and a radio play at that. You, you can see. Uh, how well it would have worked on the radio. Yeah. So as we indicated, we've got uh, Sellers, we've got Richard Attenborough, we've got Beryl Reed. Oh, yeah. underused, it has to be said. But uh, yeah, she's very good in the part, but she doesn't do much more than giggle, really, does she, unfortunately? No. Um, and, and, and... Of course. David Lodge. Lodge yes. Um, can you think of any other films David Lodge was in? <laughs> <laughs> The screenplay for this film is by Pierre Rouve, who had written Mr. Topaz and produced it as well with Sellers. And he was also a producer on uh, The Millionaires and the music by the legendary oh, Ron, Ron Grainer. Mm. Yeah. Uh, any particular favourite Ron Grainer 
compositions. Oh, Marvellous in this one. Um, but of course, we've got May Gray, Doctor Who, Steptoe and Son. I mean, the, the, the man was brilliant. You, yeah, um, you should get Graham Lindsay foot on one day, just talking about Ron Grainer for about three hours. He, I'm certain he knows a lot more than I do. But yeah, Ron Grainer is uh, one of those like Wally Stott that um, unsung heroes, but certainly not unplayed. Yeah, I love Tales of the Unexpected, the the theme music yeah, for oh, that. Yes. Um, he did. Um, he was he worked on Hoffman, which we've discussed previously. It's a Square World did music for. Man in a Suitcase, which is that very distinctive theme oh, tune, yes. which was later parlayed into the TFI Friday. Oh. And he also did the theme tune to a sitcom which has never been repeated, but still lives on in popular memory, Meet, meet the Wife. Ah, Freddie Frinton and Thora Heard. Yes. Yeah. And you know why that's still remembered that to this day? Teenager. It was absolutely wonderful. Oh, did you? Oh, really? Yes. Well, I've seen a few. Oh, well, I've probably seen them all, but I, all you can remember is her trying to be posh and him saying, yes. <laughs> that fake <accent. laughs> I saw one when... Take the cough, sorry. I saw one, an episode where they, would, they had a, daughter, a grown-up daughter who was about to give birth or something. And there was a turkey involved. I don't quite know. I can't remember. But um, it, it, it lives on in, in popular memory yes. for, for one reason. Do you know what that is? Is it that German thing that's on at um, every Christmas? Oh, with Fre- Freddie Frint and um, Jennifer. What's it called? Jennifer One? Something I like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It's not that. No, it's part of the lyrics of uh, Good Morning, Good Morning by the Beatles oh, Sergeant okay. Pepper. People running round, it's five o'clock, everyone in town is getting dark, everyone you see is full of life, it's time for tea and meet the wife. Somebody yeah, so the film begins, we've got this, you said about the Ron Grainer music, it's, it's, I wrote down in my notes, that you know, the film begins, it's got this mournful Hovis type music, I put. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So just just pre-credit sequence titles, we see Richard Attenborough's character being led to a cell by Patrick Newell. Patrick Newell, yes. Who, um, my mind, was always mother in the Avengers. That's right. And but the film proper opens in a what is it like a, a, a an anti-chamber of a, of a court. Something yeah, like it's, that. It's, um, it's the outside bit, you know. The courtrooms all come off it, and what have you, and everyone sits around in rows of chairs. Yes, a bit yeah. like a waiting room, really, in a doctor's in a A and E department. But uh, in the background, and you have got the vicar from Dad's Army. Yes, Frank Williams, who of course has um, there's, a, there's a vague goon connection there, and as much as Dad's Army also had Clive Dunn, who was in. Um, a regular and it's a square world. That's right, indeed. There's a couple of films I've seen Frank Williams in um, playing completely, because you, you always think of him as the vicar, don't you? Well, you, always play, you can't imagine playing a gangster, let's put it that way. Well, then, well, you say that. There's a film, There's a one, I mentioned Stanley Baker before, there's a wonderful Stanley Baker film from 1966 called, or 67 called Robbery, yes. which is based on the Great Train Robbery. And there's a scene inside a prison 
And you got Frank Williams as one of the, you know, really a, a lifer, I suppose. I don't right. know. I, I must have missed that. I'll have to watch it. It'll be again on Talking Pictures, so I'll have to watch that again and see if I can spot Frank Williams as a defrock vicar doing life <laughs> in prison. He's arranging for uh, Frank Finley to be uh, sprung from the prison. Um, and um, so, yeah, so we've got him as one of the barristers. There's a couple of barristers discussing chocolate for some reason. So it's him and there's a woman who looks a bit like Anne Reed. Yeah, but isn't. But, but isn't. And you've got a couple of police constables flirting with each other, male and female, flirting with each other. And then um, we first see Sellers as Wilfred Morgan Hall. Uh, uh, what age would you say he's meant to be? Oh, 50s, I'd have said. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 50, A bit older 50s. than you. <laughs> yes. And and he goes down into the cells to see... And he looks quite distinguished and businesslike at that stage, doesn't he? As if he knows what he's doing. <sighs> yeah, uh, we'll come to this. But, but at first you think that, yes, he's probably a very experienced barrister. Yeah. Who knows what he's doing. Um and then things start to come apart later in the film. But The next scene, really, things start to fall apart. I suppose, yeah. He doesn't even introduce himself, does he? Oh, well, that's right, because he goes down to the cells to see his client, who yeah. is um, Herbert Fowle, played by Richard Attenborough. Yeah. And he looks, Morgan Hall, yeah, you actually see on his face, he looks mildly excited, <laughs> which is unusual, I suppose, for an experienced barrister. Well, he looks just... worried because he thinks um, Fowle is about to hang himself because he's looking out the window, isn't he? Oh, at the, the prison cell bars at Epping Forest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Epping Forest. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't. He doesn't introduce. He just says, "We're going to be friends." <laughs> <laughs> Which, if somebody in a prison came up and said that to you, <laughs> you'd get yeah. the wrong idea, wouldn't you? Um, and not only that, Fowler actually says to him something like, um, "Family okay? You, you pay the rent." He, he thinks the guys. He thinks Morgan Hall is uh, mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as I said, Attenborough is this. Right away, you can you can tell he's a very he's a little man, isn't yes. he? Uh, in every sense, and he's he's meek. He's um, his concentration drifts, and it seems the only thing that excites him or interests him really is budgies, because <laughs> um, he 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 used to run before he was arrested. He ran a small seed shop. Um, Never seen a seed shop. I have to be honest. <laughs> well, I just I assume that. You, you buy seeds from a pet shop. I, did, I didn't oh, think exactly. would, there were shops yeah. that just specialised in seeds. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lot of people their own budgets and that. Have, yeah. I, at first, I thought it was a seed merchant who sold seed to farmers and so on. But no, he, he, he sells budgie seed. And I, you know, all right, you had specialist shops a lot more back then. But I've never seen a seed shop. No, we have. No. Well, in any case, and he's he's um it, it it's straight away you get you get the impression that he's he's accepted the fact that you know he's in prison, nothing he can do about it. He's got this kind of defeatist yeah attitude, and um and Morgan Hall is energized by this whole. He gets angry at first. We seem, if I may say so, Mister Fowle, to have adopted an unpleasantly selfish attitude. Selfish. Dog in the manger. Dog in the manger? Yes, unenthusiastic. What do you mean, unenthusiastic? Fowl, I'm... I'm sorry, Fowl. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. But there's so much of this about nowadays, so much of this ready-made entertainment. All these free billiards, national health, television. Not the 
Well, there's not the spirit of fraud that there used to be. You, you feel that? Al, whatever I've done, I've always been mustard keen on my work. I never lost the vision, Val. In all my disappointments, I've never, ever lost the love of the job. Morgan Hall had been a very ambitious young man with a, all the privileges and a fine future, potentially, <laughs> ahead of him. But he hadn't. But we, we we come to find out he never got the breaks. Really. Well, yes, perhaps didn't deserve them. Yeah, there's, there's a first flashback, isn't there? Which um, had, had we'd already had Christmas Carol as the sim by then, because it yes, it reminds me a bit of that, where you see the two of them, you know, looking out through the, the lattice windows with more bars. Um, but you know the the, the when they the ghosts and what have you, just uh, that's probably just a familiar trope that you. Yeah, well, they use back projection, which sometimes works better than... In some scenes, it works better than it does in others. Yeah. Um, and we see a younger Wilfred Morgan Hall um, at his studies at university. That's right. Yeah. So it's probably late 20s, early 30s, something like that. Yeah, well, music suggests that, and, and the clothes. Yeah. And he won't abandon his studies to enjoy himself like his friends. We see... We see some of his friends down in the courtyard sort of calling up to his rooms, encouraging him to come out. You know, the, one of them's dancing at Charleston, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it must have been the 30s, look, thinking about it, because, yeah. Um, yeah, it must be, because reference to uh, the war later on. So, yeah. That's true. Well, we see um, a female character played by the actress Audrey Nicholson. Now, did, do you know anything about Audrey Nicholson? Apart from the fact she has very little to do in this film, no. No, well, she's set up as, eventually she's revealed as being, a, I suppose, his girlfriend. Yes. For one to, although I don't I don't know how how strong the relationship is. Oh, but, he said he was going to ask her a certain question in five years' time, so... Uh, oh, once he was successful, he yeah. made some money, yeah. But Audrey Nicholson was a good friend of Sellers, okay? Um, by association with her husband... Now, have a guess who her husband was. Oh, dear. Um, I'm not very good at this sort of guessing thing. Um, John Mortimer? <laughs> no. Graham Stark. Oh, oh all right. Mm. Okay. So yeah. the, the Sellers and the Starks would often go on holiday together. and so yeah, Very close, weren't they? Yeah. She was in that um, documentary about him. Um, it was recently re-shown. She on. was, yes, she was. She's still going. She's still yeah. with us, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, we see this this examination, and uh, and he gets his results. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's quite happy because he scraped home, but he's delighted, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Third class degree. Yes. <laughs> And he, he quotes a bit of Latin, which I, I couldn't quite make sense of. I tried to, but uh, apart from paterfamilias and inflagranti delecto, the rest of it, that Latin is not very good, shall we say. No. Well, Boris Johnson would have understood it. He take The character takes chambers and anticipates a healthy legal practice. Um, and then we we kind of see a, a passage of time, which which covers years, where he just seems to be spending his days doing crosswords yes. while he's waiting for a brief. But, but the crosswords are out of sync. You know, he's supposed to be doing the Times crossword, but you don't get them in order. You know, the, the numbers dot all over the place. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a mistake or just you know, just kept it right. Well, I didn't anyway. notice it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will do next time, right? Yeah. The, the, 
as I say, there's obviously a, a number of years pass. The Audrey Nicholson character, we understand, was killed during the war. Yeah. And, of course, Morgan Hall is relating all this to Herbert Fowl in the prison cell. And, and when he mentions about this lady friend of his dying in the war, Fowl cuts in <laughs> and says that it was a tragic pity that his wife hadn't been called up. <laughs> oh. uh, and he says, we must carry on about you. <laughs> she hasn't done at all and that, that's the point which he finally tells him he's a barrister <laughs> and all yes. this preamble about his life uh, 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 he's such a uh, rather self-obsessed person shall we say yes he's got this far with his client and now finally tells him i'm your barrister <laughs> well he's never had he's never been in this position before i suppose so he panicked and and then herbert fowl He's in. We we come to understand that he's in prison because he killed his wife. Yes. Um, and and Fell freely admits it. He freely admits it. Yes, I did it. And I know who killed her. Me. Yeah. And Morgan Hall hesitates, and and Sellers does that wonderful eye darting thing that he did so well. Yes. And and you can see his the, the cogs turning in his head, and he's thinking, and he's, he's there's there's a look of panic almost on his face. And then he tells Fowl, he sa- he tells Fowl that he is a person of very limited intelligence. <laughs> I have all the respect in the world for your opinions, but you're a man of limited. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You think you killed your wife. <laughs> yes. And, and Fowl just nods his head in agreement. <laughs> That's the thing. Fowl never. There's never a flicker of any real emotion on his face. There's never any other than just sort of resi- resignation, if you like, to his lot. Um, um, but they deserve each other, don't they? <laughs> they do. Oh, oh yeah. And and this is where Morgan Hall reveals that Herbert Fowl is his first doc brief. Yes. And luckily, we then get a little bit of um, explanation as to what a doc brief is. So, criminals who have no money or friends or family are entitled to choose a barrister at random. Yes. And the the barrister is recompensed on a modest scale. He says, for people with no money and no friends, is fortunately you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, successful yeah. lawyers run a mile before the doc brief is given away because they don't want that sort of <laughs> yeah. that sort of business. Um, but the regulars who aren't successful, the the you know the um, losers, I suppose you'd call them, <laughs> that they they sit and wait and hope that they will be chosen by. The accused, and um, John Junkin is one of them, um, and they all they all sit there in a row, sort of smiling, winking, cajoling, <laughs> trying to catch the yes, without being obvious about it, they're trying to track their attention, and you That's think right. well, Morgan Hall's been there for about thirty years. <laughs> the law of averages, surely to God, he must have been chosen before before oh. now. All right, and he convinces himself it's because he sat in the wrong position. Well, that's right, because Tuppy Morgan always got the plum seat, <laughs> but he was off one day. He was off this day, so um, Morgan Hall yeah. took his seat and Fowl chose him. And then, and he believes Morgan Hall deeply, deeply believes that it was fate that you know that Fowl chose him. Tuppy Morgan not being there, you know, I don't know if he's ill or or dead. <laughs> not, not a lot of concern for his fellow barrister. There. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Fowl then bursts his bubble as he as he does on, on a number oh, of occasions in this film. Yes. He just basically admits that he closed his eyes and pointed at random. <laughs> and and Morgan Hall's a bit put out by this and said it might have been kinder if he kept me in ignorance of that. <laughs> yes, yes. 
<laughs> try to remember I'm a fellow man. <laughs> All my hopes are pinned on you. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those moments that there are a few in the film where Morgan Hall has to come, where foul forces Morgan Hall to come face to face with the fact that he's not very good. <laughs> Things aren't working for him. Accidentally and, and, and in a humorous way, that he's so down to earth foul. No, 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 no. And Morgan holds so much head in the clouds that every now and again he just, as you say, punctures the bubble. Morgan Hall has to crash back to earth. Well, he's a dreamer, isn't he, Morgan Hall? Yeah, he is. And, uh, Whereas Fowl has never had an original thought in his life. Well, exactly. <laughs> Dreams are beyond him. Morgan Hall starts taking notes and asks about Doris's nature. <laughs> Richard Attenborough bitterly says that his wife, because I think Morgan Hall wants to, wants Fowl to confirm that his wife was a real harridan. Your wife was a bitter, unsympathetic woman. Yeah, he's got every every cliche. Yeah. Um, trials in his head isn't he Morgan Hall yeah. you know, he, he seems every time and every time Fowl says no no it's not like that yeah no uh, Fowl disabuses him of the of the notion he says <laughs> that she she laughed all day and night <laughs> yes. and we have uh, another flashback and so in this Morgan Hall and Fowl travel back if you like yes to the the Fowl home and we see Herbert Fowle arriving home after work one evening and Doris is listening to something comedic on the radio and guffawing and and pulls Herbert's hat down and tries to get him to laugh and he's just just he's just got this permanent hangdog expression. <laughs> I love um, the line about um she she got all sorts of jokes, jokes from the Christmas crackers she'd say from year to year and she trot them out in August. <laughs> yeah. She laughed at everything. After every, I mean, she she is irritating when you see her. You think, for goodness' sake, woman, give us a break. I just got home from work. Uh, she is quite irritating, uh, laughing all the while like that. I have to say, I couldn't always laugh. She'd be doubled up across the table, gasping as if her lungs <laughs> was full of water. Dig this, Benny Britt and the corn spreaders with wild oats. Oh, it really begs the question because it's not a it's not a recent thing. Because even on their wedding day, because you see Frank Thornton as the wedding photographer. Yes, another, it's a square world regular. Yes. Frank Thornton. The, the photograph, the wedding photograph, um, the Beryl Reed character, Doris, is, is blurred because she's laughing so much. That's right, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> I have an awful joke about their surname, we're Cock and Hen. I mean, the best one in the world, it's not that funny. No. <laughs> um <clears throat> Morgan Hall, I wrote this down and I think there's a lovely line. Morgan Hall says to Fowl, there's a certain Sunday evening appearance to you. Yes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, I took it to me, you know, what Sunday evenings are always quite depressing, aren't they? Oh, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I understand. Yes, of course, it's, it's Tony Hancock's Sunday afternoon thing, isn't it? Uh, well, you, you've got the Sunday fear thinking about work yes, the next day or there's school. No, there's no, nothing going on. There's no shops open, of course, at that time of Sunday. Television right. would be songs of praise or what have you. Yes. Well, yeah. Of course, they didn't and, have a television, did they? They only had the radio. 
Oh, didn't notice. Did, did they not? I didn't no, notice. No, he didn't want the television. They want oh, it. no. So there's too much of this laughter and what have you. True. television for it. <laughs> but, but you get the impression that she wears the trousers. So I'm surprised that she hadn't sort of insisted on it. You'd have thought she'd have been all over television. Doris. Uh, yes, you'd have thought so. But then again, I don't suppose a third seed merchant earned a lot of money. Probably not. <laughs> uh, he's got an Avery at the back. Oh, yes. For budgies, and he identifies with budgies, and that's the only time he's really truly happy is when he's with his budgies. Yes. Um, but she, <laughs> she's taught one of his budgies to say, "Don't look so miserable; it might never happen." <laughs> oh, that is so so cruel, isn't it? It's her favourite saying to him. She's yeah. taught the budgie got to say. You can understand <laughs> at that point why he contemplated violence. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not nice at all, is it? There we are. <laughs> and shall we sound the Dave Lodge klaxon? Because... Oh yes, I, I, I love the idea that the Lodger is played by David Lodge. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it's a performance by David Lodge I've never seen him do before, where he's just basically the the male version of Beryl Reed. <laughs> yes, in this he plays Frank Bateson, who's this new Lodger. He's an ex-copper. They call him the Scream of the Station, and. He That's immediately sweet. bonds with uh, Doris, with Beryl Reed's character. Yeah. Um, they are they are basically uh, two peas in a pod in terms of everything makes them laugh. And, and immediately Morgan Hall jumps to the conclusion, you know, the cliche, aha, they were lovers, were they? You can, you know, again, he, he only thinks in the cliches, doesn't he? Yes. And we see we see Dave Lodge, you know, messing about with whoopee cushions and a false beard and him and Doris are dancing around the kitchen, and um, and Dave Lodge. They're both very good. Dave Lodge is very good in this. Two nice kidneys. Oh, lovely, Jim. Oh, look at that. Yeah, lovely pair of eyes. Oh, you are dreadful. Got my horoscope in there. Come on, make yourself comfortable. Ooh. When were you born, anyway? September the 1st, I'm a... Don't tell us you're a virgin. <laughs> Come on, what's it say? Ah, laughter leads to love. The weekend offers much scope to your cheerful disposition. Mm-hmm. A touch of romance is in store on Sunday morning. <laughs> and, and all the while, you've got Richard Attenborough sort of sitting in at, at the sidelines... Just looking and thoroughly miserable. Reading caged birds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, wonderful line by Beryl reading it where when they do one of their dreadful jokes and she says, he can never see anything subtle. <laughs> I think I think it was um flower falling on her head or something like that, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I mean that would drive if somebody did that to me, I would be furious but she laughs at it she's mm-hmm. quite happy um and uh, richard attenborough says i went to bed early and left them with the light program and it turns out that foul hopes he's pinning all his hopes on frank running away with doris the two of them running away together yes uh, he walks out to the avery slowly and and, and he says something that when he first put his knee under her He's hoping something's going to happen. And Sellers' face then is wonderful. This sort of, oh no, 
Yeah. And really, one of the few moments of sympathy that he shows in it, you know, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little fleeting expression, which, of course, Sellers was brilliant at. Just... Brilliant at, yeah. All Fowl wanted was just to be left alone. Silence. Yes. Apart from the twittering of his budgies, that's all he wanted. And um, and he, as I say, he was hopeful that this would happen. And he gets home one evening and he walks into the hall and there's slippers on the stairs. Yes. And he thinks, hey, up, here we go. Yeah. Catch them in the act or whatever. Goes up and... Frank Bateson's room is, has been cleared. All his stuff's gone. And he goes down into the kitchen and there's Doris ironing. For for once, not laughing. No. And she tells... Easy. Yes. She tells Fel that she kicked out Frank Bateson for trying it on. <laughs> she says, I'm too respectable for that. There's safety in marriage. Yeah. A strange little line. I guess be better treated in those days. You know, a woman living in sin would not um, be very popular in the neighbourhood. I suppose that's what she means by it. I suppose so. Yeah. Hmm. But you wonder how they got together. What What was the attraction between the two? Really? <laughs> I, I don't know. Attraction of opposites, I presume. But uh... yeah, she felt sorry for him. Maybe I don't. <sighs> know. But I uh... she thought she could cheer him up in life. Who knows? Yeah. So, so in, internally, Fowl is reeling by the fact that she's kicked out the lodger because there goes his, his last hope to get rid of Doris. And he, he kind of staggers over to a chair. He sits down and there's a whoopee cushion. Yes. And that's like the final straw and he cracks. And, and you don't yeah. see anything, but you just hear her screaming and Budgie's sort of I flying into the air. Well, the, the music there, there's some sort of jazz going on. It's brilliant. The way it builds and builds and builds and then suddenly cut to the birds fluttering about in the cage. <laughs> lovely bit of uh, filmmaking that yeah so he killed his wife because she wouldn't leave him <laughs> yes <laughs> yes in those days of course divorce was um very much frowned upon so yeah he sees it as his only option yeah and morgan hall has obviously seen and heard all this and he's quite despondent mm-hmm. you know because what well, he's, he's foul is such an unsympathetic character he says uh, that, doesn't he? I can see you're an unsympathetic figure. Yeah. <laughs> but then he hits upon an idea, because he's, he's, oh, he's the eternal optimist, yeah. Morgan. Like a brilliant stroke to save you. <laughs> yes, the surprise witness. The surprise witness. Um, and this is where we get this sort of a series of fantasy sequences. Courtroom fantasies, yes. Yeah. And it's nice because the, the set that they're on, so they're in a prison cell, and then they walk out of the prison cell set and into a courtroom. Yes. And he and Morgan Hall's got his wig on and he imagines himself in court addressing the judge, but the judge in this fantasy is Fowl. Fowl is cast as the judge. With a towel on his head. With a towel on his head. His wig. Yeah. Fowl looks very uh, put out about it. It's not what he wants to be doing at this (laughs) No, because it requires a bit of creativity, yes. doesn't it? Uh, and Morgan Hall tries to um, tell me how, how horrible this judge is. He draws a cliche judge. He served in the Great War, giving prisoners long sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Hall asks the judge if he can introduce a surprise witness, and Fowl just says, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, fine. Or something. 
and 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 Sellers or Morgan Hall is put out by this and he says an irregular application for a surprise witness should elicit a refusal of permission by the judge what does Fell do does he does he, he just makes another thing. no you cannot and Morgan Hall persuades him then he says oh, you don't know what he's going to say he could say he's innocent he could say he's guilty as you already believe and so he gives him permission and of course Morgan Hall is performing brilliantly as a barrister oh his fantasy barrister is wonderful yeah He's sharp. He's quick-witted, um, yes. and then the surprise witness appears, and again, it is foul as the surprise witness. Yes, he can't even think of a name for himself. <laughs> no, it, he has to think of a name, and it takes the longest time to think of Martin Jones. <laughs> and and as soon as he says Martin Jones, he looks incredibly proud of the fact he's come up with yeah. this brilliant name. And Morgan Hall thinks it's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> he starts to get foul. Starts to get drawn into these fantasies, doesn't he? Round about now, he's. You can see he's actually starting to enjoy being Martin Jones, and uh, he does actually get into it, and uh, he smiles. Yeah, <laughs> for the first time in the film, he actually smiles. <laughs> and I wonder whether there is a Martin Jones in his life, like a friend or an acquaintance, perhaps. Uh, um, get the impression there's no one really. <laughs> no, I suppose not. And and um, Morgan Hall cross examines <laughs> Martin Jones, and where was? Foul when the crime took place, and Martin Jones says he was at my house all evening playing whist. Playing whist. <laughs> um, and just like that, it's an open and shut case. Herbert Fowl is entirely innocent, mm. uh, not guilty. That's right. And Sellers does the thing with the with the with the gown, wrapping it about himself. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's Fowl uh, yeah. comes out with a wonderful line and reduce all police officers to the rank of PC. <laughs> and, and he laughs for the first. I mean, he actually says something quite funny and laughs for the first time in the film. Yeah, the fantasy is. Uh, he's actually enjoying it. <laughs> and then we we're back in the prison cell then, right. and Morgan Hall is, is is delighted with the way things have gone. And then Fowl, with his usual tactlessness, has to remind him that there's actually no surprise witness that they've just made it up. <laughs> You're a very good fellow, but don't interrupt my thinking. <laughs> He says, Morgan Hall says, it's remarkable, without any legal training at all, you've put your finger on the one fatal weakness in our defence. You get the idea now why he hasn't got any briefs. Yeah. And then he said, and then he thinks what they should try and do is is frame Bates and frame the lodger. Oh, yeah. He says, um, it will come to me in an illuminated flash. Hard brain work. (laughs) And and, he says, Morgan Hall says, my life depends on this case. His life, yes. yes we, we, his I life. mean, Fowles literally does depend you know, on Fowles, of course, at that time would have hung for it, this man. Of course he would, yeah. <laughs> and we get, we, we're back, this fantasy courtroom where David Lodge is there as Bateson and, um, and he's being tied up in knots by the wonderful cross examination by, <laughs> by Morgan Hall. Uh, and um, Fowles is, is, uh, just a, a shocked breathing from the jury. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is he really getting into these fantasies? He's, he's actually enjoying. <laughs> and Morgan Hall says, "You and I are learning to muck in together splendidly." <laughs> Morgan Hall basically pins it on Bateson. Yeah, uh, he said, "You were enraged that Doris wouldn't go away with you, so you murdered her." And um, case closed, basically. <laughs> and then again, again, back in the cell, Fowl has to keep bursting his bubble a little hitch 
<laughs> he said after Bateson left the house, he was arrested for pinching an alarm clock. Uh, and a neighbour actually saw Doris alive two hours later, so they know that he can't have murdered her. Yes. And Morgan Hall says, all my life I've stood up to the winds of criticism. I'm quite used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I found that a little bit jarring because if Bates and an ex-policeman stealing an alarm clock and half a bottle of port, I thought he could have found a better excuse. Well, that's the thing, because he, he stole them from the fowls. Mm. So we must assume that Doris shopped them to the police, did she? Must have done. I don't know, no. Because you don't just get arrested for just walking around in possession of an alarm clock and a bottle of sherry, do you? Um, anyway, uh, and again, Morgan Hall's trying to de- desperately trying to think how to, um, you know, how to break through this case. Right. <laughs> Tuppy Morgan always told him to question any medical evidence. Go for the doctor. Yeah. Go for the doctor. But he can't uh, do that fantasy because he's interviewing himself. Well, that's the point. When I said earlier, there's a, there's a bit where Sellers almost plays another character and then doesn't. Yes. Because you see Morgan Hall trying to summon up a doctor in the dock. Um, and it's himself. It's it's Morgan Hall, essentially, cross-examining Morgan Hall. Uh, Richard Attenborough plays several roles, does he not? No, that's a misconception, Peter. Actually, no, neither of us play multiple role roles. A multiple role, that would be right, wouldn't it? Yes. Anyway, um, have a multiple yes. role for breakfast. Uh, no, uh, multiple <laughs> role and butter. Multiple <laughs> role and butter, yes. Morgan Hall suggests that Doris died of a heart attack. It could have been brought on by a fit of laughter at a joke on the wireless. I don't understand. See, I don't get that because she didn't die of a heart attack. She was murdered by yeah, Val. This is a desperate line of defence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, Fowl thinks it's wonderful and applauds him at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Morgan was like, you keep putting these difficulties in my way. <laughs> yeah. In the fantasy, Judge Fowl attempts to sum up and uh, ultimately the jury, which is Fowl, finds Fowl not guilty and to to, uh, to to massive cheers and cameras going off and, and all sorts. Yes. And then, and then Morgan Hall, they they stride back into the prison cell, and Morgan Hall is imagining now that um, you know he's the most successful Ooh. barrister in London. He's he's been offered a thousand guineas to divorce a duchess. Yeah, um, widows. <laughs> yeah, he's been tra- he's been transported upon a current of whimsical wish fulfilment, and he's yeah. loved every minute of it. And he says, "What a wonderful new life you brought me." <laughs> yeah, but then he's brought back to earth with a thump. Yes, because Patrick Newell walks in and says that. Fowl has to go up for the trial. Yes. And Morgan Hall nearly goes into the dock with him. <laughs> yeah. And we see, so yes, so we, we see the actual trial or the beginning of the actual trial. Um, you've got a, the judge reminded me, I don't know if you felt this, um, the judge at first I thought, is that, it, it can't be because he's too old. He reminded me of Ivor Cutler. <laughs> um, and and we see there's obviously the prosecuting counsel and there's there's Morgan Hall who's the defence counsel and Morgan Hall is totally unprepared he's scrabbling around for bits of paper um, he's he's jittery he's just c- completely out of his depth and, and tries to open his defence before the prosecution said a word yeah and the prosecution <laughs> the prosecuting counsel is called Perkins and it's an actor called Tristram Jallinac. Um who I recognised 
and I had to confirm it on IMDb, but I thought I'd recognise it. He played... Are you a fan of One Foot in the Grave? Oh, very much so, yes. He There's an episode called Warm Champagne, which is one where Margaret very nearly has an affair. Uh, so it's the one where she comes home and Victor's in bed with an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> not not deliberately. Um, anyway, um, the, the character... Um, the, the character that Margaret almost has an affair with is someone they met on holiday uh, and a character called Ben. And he is played by Tristram Jelinek, who oh. played Perkins in this. Um, it's a wonderful episode, Warm Champagne. And by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but I am a huge fan of One Foot in the Grave and I have appeared on the um, One Foot in the Grave podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, talking about the episode wisdom of the witch and that was from a couple of years ago so it's um one foot in the podcast if uh, people want to check that out I, I was on that uh talking about wisdom of the witch i think in february 2021 i think something like that if you want to check that out um but, sorry a little but, bit of self-promotion there they, uh, it was um two years younger than me at school it was the same school it was two years younger he was sort of someone that people knew. I didn't know him personally, but he was he was someone known about the place as. A, oh, okay. Quite a character, yes. Well, obviously, I had him on the show. Very nice man. He is, yes, he is, and um, as you say, one foot in the grave is um, absolutely phenomenal writing and acting. Yeah. Uh, Tristram Jellyneck, which what a what a name. Um, <laughs> I saw him. There's a, there was a great adaptation of the Robert Harris book, Selling Hitler. Um, on Channel Four, he was in that. He was in Whoops Apocalypse. David David Renwick again. Yeah. More um, runs from outer space. Top secret out of Africa. Lots of things. And anyway, Perkins is the prosecuting counsel, who's clearly all over his brief on top of everything. You know, totally professional. Begins the prosecution, and mm-hmm. um, the, the 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 essentially the character assassination of Fowl. Okay. <laughs> And then, it, and then it just the cuts. The doesn't even know who um, Morgan Hall is, does he? He has to be told by the clerk who it is. Oh, yes. Name wrong, you know, Morgan Hall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, he's withering about him. Uh, Barrister, you should know better. And you yes. almost see Sellers as Morgan Hall shrink. <laughs> <laughs> well, the scene then abruptly cuts, and this is why I wondered whether this was partly you know, cut out of the DVD version. Yeah. Or the American cut. Um, but we see a despondent Wilfred Morgan Hall leaving the courtroom at the end of the proceeding. But it's also done for dramatic effect, isn't it? You don't want to see too much of the trial because of the scenes that follow. You you want that dramatic True, that's true. It may be absolutely it may well be that this is exact, you know, as it that this was as in the original cut. I don't know, but he's lost the case. We know that. He goes off he he sort of wanders off to a pub and he keeps rerunning the case over in his mind what he yes. should have said mm-hmm. you know, I should have said that I should have what I should have done I should have you know it was absolutely 100% more powerful in his fantasy but he crumbled under the glare of reality really yeah, exactly yes and in the pub he asked for half of mild <laughs> mm. yeah which is appropriate <laughs> um, yes and he gets half half of his half of mild spilt on it by now. Is it by per? Is that Perkins? The I think I was going to ask you the same question. Um, yeah, I, I think it is him because uh, for a start, he's recognised by the barman. It's obviously he's um, it's the pub next to the court, so he 
Yes. Perkins must be there as a, a barrister quite frequently, asks for the usual and knows the, the barmaid's name and what have you. So I presume so. And he's sort of very matter of fact getting along with it. And Morgan Hall's dejected. And <laughs> what is it? He yeah. says, poor Fowl, who'd be taking this very much to heart. Yeah. <laughs> Dear. Yes, and I think he might be. Presumably, I think it was. It's the morning of the execution or anticipated execution. I, I wasn't too sure what it was. Is it just Morgan Hall visiting him after? Well, you see the you see the front of the prison, and you yeah. see the the notice board. And I think they post when there's an execution, when there was going to be a hanging, they would post something on the notice board outside the prison gates. Oh, I, see. I think that's what this is meant to imply, that it's the morning of what's supposed to be Fowl's execution. And Morgan Hall is there. Um, but Fowl isn't in there. Fowl comes back into the cell. He's been, he'd been he been invited by the governor to go and see him. And it turns out that the Home Office has issued a reprieve. <laughs> yes. That's a government department, isn't it, says Fowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fowl's kind of happy about it, but he's... You know, no, you know, he manages a smile. Yeah. Um, but Morgan Hall, you'd think well, Morgan Hall would be delighted on his behalf, but Morgan Hall just looks disturbed. And he said, "Well, this is the point where the relationship changes, isn't it? That suddenly, um, Morgan Hall's sitting down, looking up at Fowl, who's standing. You know, and 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 you can see all all his fantasies sort of ending here, can't you? It's uh, when he's faced <laughs> the reality of actually what happened. But why should you be free? Hmm? Well, it seems that the uh, trial was no good at all. No good? But why? Oh, no particular reason. Mr. Fowl, there must be a reason. Nothing happens in law without a reason. Well, you won't care to hear. Tell me why this governor who knows nothing of the law, should have called our one and only trial together no good. Mr. Fowle, you must answer me. My legal career may depend on it if I'm not to have wasted my life on useless trials. You really want to know? Yes. 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 Well, he said that the... Uh, the barrister they chose for me was no good, uh, an old crock, in his words. That he never said a word in my defence, and uh, so my case never got to the jury. He, he said the whole thing was ever so null and void, but I'd better be careful in the future. So, yes, yeah, so we, we then learn that it looks like Morgan Hall completely dried during the actual trial suffered from the, the the legal equivalent of stage fright and didn't say a word yeah uh, in defense of his client absolutely crushed at this point isn't he <laughs> absolutely crushed and it's foul that cheers him up at this point yeah. you know, your artfulness paid off the dumb tactics it saved me yeah if he'd been if i'd had a barrister who'd asked questions and made clever speeches then i'd be dead as mutton <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, I love the way he, he he presumes it was deliberate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, that's, that's right. Yeah, Fell thinks it was it was um yeah, planned. Yes, intentional. Uh, <laughs> and then um and then Morgan Hall defeated, completely defeated, mm. 
says, go back to your birds. <laughs> and, and, and they both leave the prison with, um, he says, I don't suppose it's likely you'll ever marry again. <laughs> or commit some trivial offence. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he's desperate to work with them again. <laughs> well, yeah, they've got a friendship, haven't they? You know, they're sort of an, an odd couple, if you like. They're sort of... That's it. Well, oh. The last scene where they walk off over Westminster Bridge together, he says, after you, no, after you. And they walk off over Westminster Bridge. is delightful because halfway across... Morgan Hall gives this little skip, little dancing skip. That's then right. Again, and Fowl joins in. Well, you think, okay, they're, they're, they're two lonely men. Yeah. Probably have no friends. And they are now friends. And they can perhaps continue to have these little fantasies. Yeah. Yeah, they can. Yes, exactly. It's 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 That end bit, I just think, is wonderful. Just that little skip on the bridge. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And did you notice the end titles, the budges, they're facing the other way and they're right close together. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Oh, right. And they're really close. So, Absolutely. Uh, but it's a Jember film. Anyone that hasn't seen it, I just go and watch it because the two of them give such brilliant performances. And I often cite Roger Lewis on this podcast. Um some people love him, some people hate him. Um, and uh, I, I couldn't get on with the book, I've got to be honest. I, I tried to read it on your recommendation. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I found it difficult. Um... Well, yeah, I, I enjoy it, I, but I, I read between the lines a lot of it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, it is useful for, for information. Yes. Factual information as well. Well, it's got almost too much factual information. Yeah. Yeah, um, but Roger Lewis in his book on Sellers, you know, he talks about this film a little bit, and um, and it's just coming back to what we said at the beginning of the conversation. He says about this film, he says the film is full of cages, locks, bolts. When the sunlight shines on a wall, the striped shadows form bars. Sellers is wonderful at oscillating between Morgan Hall's hopefulness and hopelessness, and when he says, "Oh, foul." The wonderful new life you've bought me. <laughs> yes. We know that he'll screw up in his big day in court. And he duly does, lose his papers, drop his legal tomes with a clatter, and forget his speech. He dries like an actor, and he's derided by the judge and jury. I only had to open my mouth, he says later, and pour out words. Uh, and Lewis goes on to compare Morgan Hall. He says, Morgan Hall could be seen as a somber version of Clouseau. Yes, who, I'll go along. Likewise... Yeah, who, who learns to live with ridicule to such an extent, indeed, that ridicule becomes a consolation. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's probably one of the lesser known. Well, it is one of the lesser known Sellers films, but it's a it's a great character. And and Sellers in black and white is rarely off kilter. Yes, um, and playing older men. Yes, and as I say, people with delusions of adequacy, which again is clue, so isn't it? Uh, yeah. uh, he he's brilliant at that. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a a film that everyone should seek out if they haven't seen it. It will turn out probably on Talking Pictures TV again at some point soon. Well, I hope so. I hope, I hope people you know, who listen 
to this podcast, go on and give it a look because it is well worth it. And it's a film you can watch more than once and still get quite a lot out of it, you know, despite the, you know, it, once you know what's going to happen in it, we've given away the plot, shall we say, it's still worth watching just for their performances. Yeah. Richard Attenborough in particular. Yeah, well, I'd say both of them. I think uh, it's one of Sellers' performances that I really love. Uh, that Fred Kite and some of his old men and what have you are when I like him best. Um, the Wrong Box, another one. Yeah, where... and, and um, Battle of the Sexes. He plays an older man. Yeah. Waltz of the Toreadors. I mean, Waltz of the Toreadors, have you seen that? Uh, many years ago, I don't... It's one I watched as a teenager, so <laughs> I haven't seen it since. If it's on, I shall watch it. Well, it's again, I'm I haven't seen it for years, and it's one I should revisit, I think, because I think I will get more out of it now yeah. at the age I am now than when I was it because I would have been a teenager when I properly watched it, you know. Um, because it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a laugh out loud comedy film by any means. And Sellers plays uh, this sort of lecherous old major or general, <laughs> so. So there we go. So, Roger, thank you for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. And um, obviously, this is, you know, this this is a, a, a fine Sellers film, but it's never going to make anyone's, I guess, top five list of Sellers films. However, uh, as I've previously said, at the end of this year, I will be running down listeners' top 20 Peter Sellers films. And uh, I think I've got Mark Cousins lined up to be one of the guests on that and uh, uh, another guest or guests TBC. Um, but if you haven't already sent me your favorite, you know, your top three sellers films, please message me on Twitter oh, or my that. email. Um, You've done it, haven't you, Roger? Well, I, I, I'm usually any request like that. It's the same as after your um, podcast. I'll usually not just like, but I'll put a comment on um, on your Twitter feed. You yeah, know, just to sort of uh, let you know there are people out there listening to it. <laughs> yes, well, thank you, and um, and I've already got a big, big, you know, I've already got a more or less a top twenty. You probably have, and I suspect the doc brief won't be on there, but uh, it'll be on mine, shall we say? Yes. Um, <laughs> I see. I rate it above um, the mouse that roared, and most people wouldn't, and I certainly rate it above um, my least favourite film of his which is lolita oh oh i'm sorry it's just uh have you read the book i have read the book right uh, years ago i do quite like nabokov yeah um uh, i know it's a very problematic book of course but oh, it's very well written for all that it's very well written uh, about a man's obsession immoral illegal obsession and when in the film they up the age from 12 to 15 it totally ruins it because there's a difference between a prepubescent girl that you're obsessing over and a girl of 15 with a woman's body that you're obsessing over um i just thought they ruined it sorry <laughs> well i quite enjoy lolita the film um but it's not it's not one i would uh regularly watch uh but i i quite enjoy it i do like i do like me some james mason yeah james mason is the best thing in it i'll say that now sue lloyd is totally totally wrong <laughs> and like i say it, it, it's just if you read the book first and then see the film you think there's not a lot of relationship there 
Uh, no, so. no, but I would, I would rec do I recommend the book? It's very well written. Is what I will say. Yeah, yeah, I, I read the book first, and uh, the book is brilliant. You know, yeah. As you, say, um, you, you feel for the man, strangely enough, although he's uh, morally repugnant, you still feel for him because it's so well written. Yes, Humbert Humbert, his name. Yes, yeah. Uh, I remember reading the book when I was ill, I remember being in bed. Um, I can't remember what was wrong with me. I just know that I was bed bound for a couple of days. We're probably talking 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it just, it completely, it was so absorbing. The it, book. Is, it is. It's so well written. Yeah. And right in a foreign language. It's, um, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of incredible. Um, what was the other book he wrote that is Pale brilliant? Fire. Pale Fire. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. There's Penin, P-N-I-N, which I struggled with. Um, but uh, I think of of those that I've read, Lili, of his uh, that I've read, Lolita's the best. So, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So, yeah, as I say, um, if you haven't already uh, sent me your top three Sellers films yeah, for the I end of year that. poll, please do. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. Uh, what, I were your, what were your top three? I think it was I'm All Right, Jack would definitely be number one. Mm. And I suspect two-way stretch and wrong arm of the law were the other two. Right. Um, But if you gave me a top five, um, it's possible that Doc Brief might creep in there. I suppose Pink Panther, the first Pink Panther would be the other film, and Smallest Show on Earth, Well, which I love. Yeah, covered all of them, apart from the Pink Panther, which I will be covering in December because it is the 60th anniversary of that oh, film. Uh, you plotting ahead like that. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the first Pink Panther. Oh, and Shot in the Dark. Shot in the Dark is a film. My favourite Sellers film of all yes, time. Yes, that. that is. Uh, those two films, I've actually got them um, recorded from VHF on DVD. I transferred quite a few old films from VHS to DVD at some stage, and I've got them both on one dvd um and yeah there are a pair of films that are brilliant mm. after that no they're all sorry <laughs> I, I i'm I, i'm very fond of return of the pink panther but after that i find it, it yeah, they've they milked it dry by then yeah um, yeah and as i say without someone really to compete with sellers is not at his best he needs someone to make him up his game he does yeah all right roger well listen okay we will speak again thank you again and um i'm delighted to speak to you every time thank you and listeners i will be back next week with another show another guest i'm not sure what it will be yet but um it will be brilliant whenever it is of course it will (laughs) (laughs) all right bye-bye everybody bye-bye bye i believe i'm cut out for the court of appeal you see there's piles of books and when you put one down the dust and the powdered leather rises and makes the usher sneeze the clock ticks. Three old judges in scarlet take snuff with trembling hands. Foul, you will sit in the dock and not follow a legal word, and I'll give the judges all my law and get you off on a technicality.